1: ism oil and cash is not trash welcome to money talk the annex wealth management show we got a lot going on today Let's get right to it. I'm Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. Dave Spano, our President and CEO. Welcome to you.
2: Yeah, thanks, Danny. That's a good one, ISM. And, you know, we hear all of these crazy terms in our business, and this is a term that came out this week. And, you know, obviously, Derek, you and I have been talking about this for many, many years. There's a measurement that's out there that's an indicator of the health of the economy. And this week, we got an ISM number.
3: Right, and the ISM services number, which is very important because services is roughly 70% of the U.S. economy, came in much stronger than economists expected at 54.5, the highest reading in six months. And tell me about why that number is significant, over 50. Well, that's an expansionary number. So anything over 50 is expanding, anything below 50 is contracting. And one of the reasons the Fed has continued to raise rates is because the service sector remains so strong, job growth remains strong there, and, and wage inflation remains high high there. So that strong number, again, caused many to believe the Fed will keep rates high for longer.
2: And so ISM above, and of course, in our country, you know, 75, 80% of it is service-related. And so the manufacturing number, however, has been below that. It has been contracting. And so therefore, we see that, you know, we could have this rolling recession that we talked about some
3: six months ago. Right. Well, we talked about the differentiation between services and manufacturing. And manufacturing... uh, Benefited disproportionately from COVID as many people went out and bought products and and things of that nature. But now they're doing things like traveling and going to restaurants. Uh, But the labor market does continue to be pretty strong. The job opening survey still a lot of job openings, but fewer than before. Uh, So the labor market is starting to go in the right direction. And I think right now, Dave, just in general, generally speaking, we're we're kind of in a situation where many people believe the Fed has engineered a soft landing. If that is true, then stocks probably go higher through year end. If that's not, there's some vulnerability to the downside.
2: And we're going to find out more in just a couple of weeks because well, they're going to have a meeting and the percentage's chance that they're going to raise rates is very, very low. But you look at what's happening and you see some of the inflationary numbers have come down. In fact, if you take renters' equivalency rent out of that calculation, which is a big part of the CPI number it's pretty low.
3: Right, it is, and uh, it continues to be low. Um, the owner equivalent rent has started to roll over, but it has been fairly sticky. The other thing that some people are pointing to are higher food and energy costs, which have started to perk up recently, but there are a smaller component, So the inflation fight seems to be being won, but on a very gradual, slow basis.
2: And let's talk about energy. Of course, we saw oil continuing to rally. And there's a lot of things that are happening. We heard that the Saudis were not going to go back on their cuts, going to keep them in place. And we're seeing oil prices come high. And it's a sector that you can
3: invest in. You certainly can. Very high free cash flow yields. The companies have been far more rational. They're not, you know, it's not drill baby drill anymore, given the negativity from the administration towards carbon products. The other thing is, is that inventories are at historically low levels. The inventory levels are the lowest level as they've been since 1985. And when you think about it, with China sputtering, the economic rally there starting to sputter, if that starts to turn around, the squeeze in energy prices into the winter could be pretty severe.
2: Yeah, and we're gonna have to watch that. You know, and again, as an investing idea in a sector, it's something that you are watching. We have been overweighted in that area, and we've been underweighted in some of the more defensive sectors, like utilities and staples. But you know, there sometimes there's a reversion to the mean as well.
3: Right. The extreme levels that we're seeing in many sectors right now are at historic levels a differentiation between uh, the NASDAQ, say, and small cap stocks is at a, a record wide level. Uh, the differentiation between interest rates and P.E. multiples is also at a very wide level, which was one of the reasons why it's very hard to make a big bet in either direction right now, because the economic tea leaves are somewhat murky. Even the Fed acknowledges that. And the best way to deal with something like that is to have conviction and basically having no conviction with regard to what your overall allocation <laughs> is. That's
2: right. And of course, lastly, <laughs> Cash is not trash. And something you pointed out is that we have not seen interest rates on money rates above the dividend rate of the stock market in a long time.
3: Right. We haven't seen the earnings yield um, versus the uh, treasury yield at these levels since the dot com bubble. And I don't have to tell you what happened subsequent to that. So it's not a bad time to be looking at treasury bills. It's not a bad time to be moving money from, say, a bank account uh, to treasury bills where you're getting north of 5% yields. I mean, that's a pretty attractive number, particularly when you think that inflation is lower than that.
1: Derek Felsky is our chief investment officer. Dave Spano is our president and CEO. There's more to come. Before we go to break, I want to remind you about the Annex Wealth Management Tax Smart Planning Strategies Review. What we will do for you, no charge, complimentary, we're going to review your unique situation. We will assess your plan. We will provide insight on strategies you might want to employ. This is important stuff. It's AnnexWealth.com slash tax smart that is our week in review it's always available as a podcast and delivered sundays in the axiom newsletter it is sunday september 10th it's money talk the annex wealth management show we're going to be right back on 92.5 fox news Headlines, texts, emails, the TV, the computer, the phone, even your smartwatch, every day. Market volatility can lead to anxiety and planning paralysis. No surprise, Americans report being stressed about their investment and retirement plans. Turn down the media roar, dial up the planning put annex wealth management on your side for investment and retirement guidance that includes tax and estate planning head to annexwealth.com. click the get started button know the difference with a fee only fiduciary that's annex wealth management we're back couple of things you can do on the weekend sign up for the axiom our great weekly newsletter don't have to be a client for that we are all over social media linkedin facebook instagram youtube with over 1500 videos that we produced. We didn't buy them off the shelf. They're great. They're searchable. All you got to do is look for that little search box and look for what you're what you need to know more about. Graphonomics is on AnnexWealth.com. It's three graphs once a month. that will help you make sense of the economy. And then our SWAT podcast. That is every single Monday morning from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Team at Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities and Threats. It's pretty in-depth. If you like that kind of stuff, you can find it on Spotify or wherever you Find your favorite podcasts. In the studio, Derek Felski, our chief investment officer, Dave Spano, President CEO, Annex Wealth Management.
2: Yeah, thanks, Danny. Of course, we couldn't get away from the conversation about a recession for nearly a year. And we always said you, know, you have to look at a number of barometers to see where we're going. And one of the things that could happen, despite that the Fed raised rates so significantly over such a short time, what happens with the unemployment rate? Did all of these moves create a situation where they would push us into a recession. Well, the Fed is going to report in the next couple of weeks, and there's a lot of information that's coming out. But I think it's going to be a great conversation, Derek, of what comes out of that meeting.
3: Right. And and, and I think what they're trying to wrestle with is what, is what is the neutral rate? You know, what Fed funds rate is neutral in terms of affecting the economy? Right now, for the first time in a long time, real interest rates are now in positive territory and we've said often that when real interest rates go positive that's when you start to see a more restrictive fed and that's when the lagged effects of higher rates start to filter through the economy it's been 16 17 months since they began hiking rates so in many ways some are waiting for Godot, you know expecting the economy to all of a sudden fall off a cliff but there's been also been a lot of fiscal stimulus in the interim that helped to uh, levitate the economy there was the situation with silicon valley bank which caused the Fed to actually add liquidity to the system. So there have been all sorts of offsetting factors, and that's why it's very hard to invest based on your for economic forecast because the stock market will sniff things out probably before the economists.
2: Yeah, and, and I agree. And let's take uh, let's take that information, which is very domestic conversation that we just had, and go around and take a tour of the world. There's so much going around uh, internationally, and let's just start with China. Everywhere you look, there is these bearish articles about China, and I think we, we need to keep an eye at it.
3: Well, there are major property concerns there. I think roughly two-thirds of the wealth of the Chinese people is in real estate. That's There's been a lot of speculation in that area. The other thing is the relationship with the U.S. continues to deteriorate. Uh, there's almost a tit-for-tat relationship. The U.S. is trying to keep semiconductors away from the Chinese, and the Chinese are now threatening not to buy iPhones. So, you know, that I'll is... put
2: pressure on Apple stock this past uh, It
3: certainly did, and, uh, and other companies that do a lot of business in China, because you worry that perhaps they'll extend that beyond just uh, state state owned enterprises and government employees. And
2: so let's keep moving not only from past South Korea and into Japan. Bank of Japan continues to be aggressive and and Japan is doing well.
3: Well, Japan has been the most accommodative central bank out there. They have recently raised their target for the 10-year yield on their bonds, but it's still well below the rest of the world. And they have a much different demographic than many other countries, but the stock market there has done quite well. And the valuations were, were dirt cheap just a few years ago.
2: And let's take a big trip all all the way back over to Europe. And of course, we won't talk about the basketball game where the Germans beat the U.S. team this past weekend. But let's think about what's happening with with Germany and France. And they made some news this week as well.
3: The European economy remains under a lot of pressure. Inflation in the U.K. has been much higher than the United States. We've heard the same things from Germany and France. In addition, uh, you have to wonder where they are in terms of technology. United States a much bigger allocation. And the dollar has been very strong recently, which depresses the value of the and, currency. And let's,
2: let's talk about that because that's a major conversation. You know, there's so much pressure on the U.S. dollar. People say that maybe the U.S. dollar won't be the world's currency. Of course, we don't really agree with that, but when the dollar is strong, it has effects around the world.
3: Right. Well, it affects relative competitiveness, but it also affects the valuation of international holdings. So if you own an international equity fund, it's be, uh, one of the headwinds it's facing right now is that strong dollar, depending upon what countries are in that portfolio. We do talk often about the better valuation of European equities, but uh, the growth prospects just aren't as good, although in the next 12 months, the expectation is their earnings growth is going to accelerate relative to ours. And the reason why we
2: cover all of this area, folks, is because think about a portfolio. We talked about domestic, we talked about international, talked about fixed income, even cash, that it has some value. And that means moving some things around in your portfolio, and that's what proactive management is. And that's why you need a fee-only fiduciary. There is a difference.
1: This show is just a sample of what we do. We've already covered the market and we do that in depth because we've got a very, very deep investment team. We're also going to talk about HSAs. We've got an Ask Annex segment coming up. We're going to talk about grandparents helping with college expenses for grandchildren based on the great feedback we got on last week's segment. You need to see the whole picture and you need to do it by heading to our website, annexwealth.com, and clicking that Get Started button. HSAs, a powerful way to save and even invest. Up next, we're going to go. Over the basics of this triple tax advantage tool. Right after a break on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 925 Fox
4: News. Losing sleep lately? The job, the house, the headlines, or investments? How about the feeling your investment partner isn't a partner at all? They might be operating in someone's best interest, but that someone isn't you. It's time for Annex Wealth Management. It's easy. Head to annexwealth.com, click the Get Started button. We work in your best interest as a fiduciary. That commitment runs so deep, we put it in writing. Does your advisor do that? Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Start at AnnexWealth.com.
1: Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. We're going to cover healthcare savings accounts and why they're pretty darn awesome for those who can use them. And to do that, I'm joined by Kent Helene, an associate wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back to the show.
5: Hey, Danny. Great to join you.
1: There were more than 33 million HSAs holding nearly $100 billion in 2022. The key is you're eligible to have contributions made to an HSA when your medical insurance is a high deductible plan. That is HSA eligible because not all high deductible plans are HSA eligible. So you've got to check with your insurer or your employer. Make sure that yours qualify.
5: Kent, what are the limits? How much can you pile into these bad boys? Yes. Over the year 2023, the maximum amount for somebody with an individual medical plan is $3,850. And for a family plan where you are covered under your employer, the maximum amount to contribute is $7,750. That's a lot of money. That is. One thing to note is after 55, you have the $1,000 catch-up where you can contribute in addition to that 3850 or that 7750 And the other good thing is that's a way to reduce taxable income. That's totally a win-win. Yeah, it's an outstanding win-win to be able to put the money in tax-free, let it grow tax-free, and then also for qualified medical expenses, it can come out tax-free as well.
1: Yeah. And it comes time to spend that HSA money. You
5: got to pay attention to a couple of things. So when it's time to come and spend the money, at that point, you can either pay out of pocket for that cost and save those receipts, or you can pay directly from that HSA. The benefit of using the receipt strategy is you can keep that money invested in the HSA. And at that point, let it grow and reimburse yourself tax-free later on down the road. One of the things that people
1: love about these HSAs is they are triple tax advantage. Can you break that down?
5: So for qualified medical expenses, and that's the key phrase there, qualified medical expenses. It's not tax-free for any expense. Luckily, there's quite the substantial list as far as pulling that money out tax-free. Comes out of your either paycheck tax-free from the employer or individual contributions are tax-free as well. It continues to grow in that account without taxes being incurred on that money. And then if you pull it out for those qualified medical expenses, it comes out tax-free.
1: Is there an RMD? I mean, do you have to take these things out at a certain point in your life?
5: There is no RMD. The benefit of the HSA is you can defer that pull out of the HSA when you're looking at the receipt strategy that we talked about before. One thing to be aware of is... In order to maintain that extremely beneficial tax treatment, the beneficiary should be your spouse. And then after your spouse, there actually can be some additional planning and tax considerations that we want to look at.
1: You, When you're considering getting into an HSA, if you qualify for it, you just need to know you're going to spend money on health care during your lifetime. I mean, when we first got
5: involved with HSAs, we had kids we had boys we knew that they were going to be going through some money right (laughs) very much so yeah there's going to be some broken bones or something there but when you're looking at trying to either keep the money invested and again talking about that receipt strategy Uh, You can save the money in the HSA, keep it invested, but at the same time, you know you're going to have some medical expenses. Those that have saved extremely well into their HSAs, again, we will want to look at the, the beneficiaries and the passing on to make sure you fully absorb that tax benefit, the triple tax benefit on the HSAs. Let's talk a little bit about the investing component of an HSA. You don't have to, but you can. Yeah, absolutely. Looking at the benefits of investing that HSA, it's an extremely underutilized benefit. Looking at a study from the Employee Benefit Research Institute, roughly 88% of HSA account holders weren't utilizing that benefit and they were holding it in cash. So looking at the potential growth over time, whether it's earning interest in something like bonds or investing in the market, that is a, a massive benefit that a lot of people are unfortunately missing out on. And when you retire, the good stuff happens because you can start spending that. Correct. To be able to reimburse yourself for all those medical expenses that come out throughout time, that's a, a massive benefit of the HSA.
1: This might be a tricky question, but which should you fund first? A 401k, an IRA, or an HSA?
5: A tricky question, but at the same time, there's a, a decent base answer. So depending on the, the complexity and the, the individual circumstances of someone, my answer might change a little bit. But the benefit of the HSA and what of an extremely powerful savings tool is shouldn't overshadow the fact that an employer 401k if you have that match you should at least contribute up to that employer match to take that benefit otherwise you're missing out on a a benefit that's given to you based on your employment so i would say contribute up to at least the minimum for the employer match and then if you want to start funding your hsa if you're eligible that's the route i would go
1: For investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference. Our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Kent Helene, Associate Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for your insight. Thank you, Danny. On the way, is the IRS getting audit happy with all those new agents inbound? And it looks like they might be targeting people with incomes over $400,000. What's the latest? What do you need to know? That's next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Is there anything sweeter than the crisp sound of a driver when it connects purely with the ball? Many golfers evaluate the quality of their shot by the sound it makes. You may feel the same about your financial plan. Something doesn't seem, look, or sound right. Think of Annex Wealth Management as financial swing doctors. We'll give you the truly objective analysis that comes from a fee-only fiduciary with no products to push or commissions to chase. If you need help, talk to our pros. Get started at AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? After getting $80 billion from last year's Inflation Reduction Act, the IRS is poised to make good on its long-standing pledge of paying more attention to taxpayers who make more than $400,000 annually that's the bad news. More bad news is the agency is going to focus on, quote, segments of taxpayers with complex issues and complex returns where audit rates are minimal today, such as those related to large partnerships, large corporations, high income and high wealth individuals. Joining me to talk about this, Eric Strom, financial planning manager, CFP and an EA, part of the stellar financial planning team at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome, Eric. Thank you, Danny. More than half of the agency's new funding was allocated to enforcement in And the plan makes it clear that the current administration wants the IRS to increase audits of wealthy individuals and large corporations. One question is, when does this all start? How long will it
6: take? Well, the IRS still has to hire and train agents, and that takes time. Many believe that 2022 returns are not likely to be impacted with increased audits, because remember, auditing has a three-year statute of limitations. So many experts believe the 2023 returns that we're seeing will potentially be impacted by this, because by that time, it's possible to have onboarded and trained a lot of new agents. The word audit strikes fear in the hearts of most people, doesn't it?
1: It does. The IRS refers to, quote, making $400,000, and that
6: apparently is not a tax term. Where's the confusion going to come in there? Well, this term needs to be more defined in a measurable way by the IRS, because think about this. Someone could have millions of dollars in capital gains, but then also you know millions of dollars of capital losses. So they may have a net taxable income under 400,000. So did that person quote-unquote make less than 400,000? We don't know and we need clarity to really be able to help advise in that area. We're watching this carefully.
1: Eric, do you know, I mean, what are some of the possible tax issues for our wealthy clients down the road?
6: It's common for business owners to save, as one example, certain types of taxes, such as payroll taxes, by using a strategy such as shifting some of their income from salary to business distributions. That type of planning, that's where it's likely that we might see the IRS cracking down on business owners who may, for example, take too small of a salary and take too much of their distributions, which does save in payroll taxes. So all that to say that for people who have that type of business structure as one example could be where we see more scrutiny. How about pass-through tax breaks? Many wealthy taxpayers have passed through income from businesses. So pass-through means the taxes are actually paid at the individual level and entities that have passed through also can be providing losses which can be very beneficial too and there's historically been a very low audit rate on these types of business entities and and it makes sense if you think about it because it's very challenging to audit these entities because they're complicated. Most of the audits that take place are very simple audits of the earned income tax credit or other very simple matters that can happen all by mail. But many of these pass-through audits are so complex, that's where really they're putting that emphasis. So it's very likely we're going to see more scrutiny with pass-through entities. Is that the same then with deductible business expenses? Well, it's possible that we're going to see more scrutiny for deductible expenses for businesses to make sure they're legitimate. It. This is the reality. Some business owners do deduct personal expenses as business expenses too liberally. You know, maybe there have been times in the past where you could get away with some of those more aggressive type things, but it's very possible we're going to see more scrutiny of deductible business expenses moving forward with this level of staffing.
1: Not a time for risky tax moves. I mean, the move is not to somehow find a way to get your quote income under
6: 400,000, right? No, I think that the increased auditing is going to make it less likely that errors will continue to go undetected. But I think what's key here is you need to have careful consideration when it comes to more aggressive approaches. And the bottom line is you need to feel comfortable defending and any kind of income or expenses that you're reporting at the end of the day that's what counts well actually the lightning rod here is that this whole thing is pretty political right <laughs> yes IRS enforcement has become a very political issue you've got Democrats in Congress who are supporting scrutiny on the wealthy and then You've got Republicans who are indicating an intent to claw back the Inflation Reduction Act funding from the IRS because there's questioning of how the IRS is going to use these funds. So we could see the enforcement environment easily changing again. You know, and going into the twenty twenty four election season, the issue of IRS funding and enforcement will probably be a pretty hot topic that we're gonna see in the news. It sure is, folks. The story still playing
1: out. Our financial planning and tax teams gonna be laser beam focused on this. Ström, Financial Planning Manager, CFP and an EA at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for your insight. Thanks, Danny. Headlines, texts, emails, the TV, the computer, the phone, even your smartwatch. Every day, market volatility can lead to anxiety and planning paralysis. No surprise, Americans report being stressed about their investment and retirement plans. Turn down the media roar. Dial up the planning. Put Annex Wealth Management on your side for investment and retirement guidance that includes tax and estate planning. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. Know the difference with a fee-only fiduciary. That's Annex Wealth Management. We're back, and it's time for Ask Annex. Got a question? You head to our website, annexwealth.com. Don't have to be a client for that. We love these, and we sure want to help. If we can help you, though, click that Get Started button. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager in the studio. Hi, Danny. And Matt Moore is the Investment Team Manager. Welcome to you. Hey, Danny. First question on Ask Annex, when ballparking retirement, is the 4% rule a good place to start? Sarah will give you that one, and can you explain it real quick?
7: Yeah, so the 4% rule is basically saying that you shouldn't take out more than 4% of your overall retirement accounts annually, and that should give you that 30-year-long retirement path of not running out of money. But it's not a hard, fast rule. And so it can be used as a good starting point, but it's not a one size fits all solution for everybody. So it's important to adopt that personalized spending rate based on your individual circumstances, market conditions and risk tolerance when deciding your withdrawal strategy in retirement. And then you have to review it and update it on a regular basis.
1: But good starting point, but go to a pro. Exactly. Next on
8: Ask Annex, sorry for the dumb question, but could you explain what liquidity means? No, I think it's a great question because liquidity gets used in a lot of different ways depending on the context. You know, I generally define it as the ability to turn something into cash. So if you think your checking account, savings account at the bank, that's cash already. You can go to the bank, go ahead and get that. But if it's something other than that, you've got to sell it in order to create that cash. So whether it's a money market mutual fund, generally you could sell it in one day, but the proceeds become available the next. Stocks get sold right away. For the most part, most stocks are extremely liquid, which means that you're going to be able to go ahead and sell it when you want to. There are small stocks, uh, stocks that don't trade a lot, that might be a little bit harder to do that. You might have a change in price in order to sell it and get out of it right away. Bonds, don't trade all the time. So depending on the bond itself, you might have a big change in price in order to get out of it. Treasuries are generally considered to be the most liquid market that's out there. There's so many of them that's out there. You can get out of them right away with very little price change. But if it's a bond that hasn't traded in months, um, there's a chance that you might have to to take less than what you thought. And then you kind of think past that like your house or you know, in terms of real estate is You got to find somebody to buy that from you at a price that's acceptable to you and then you got to wait a while to actually get the cash from it. It's not like somebody's going to walk up with cash to buy your house. There's an entire process through closing and all of that to go through that. So they're very illiquid, especially when you're comparing it to things like bonds, stocks, money markets, and then cash.
1: Next up on Ask Annex, I've got a loss in my taxable holdings, and then he names a bond fund. I want to do some tax loss harvesting this year, but I also want to stay invested in a bond fund. Who determines if a different fund meets the, quote, substantially identical wash sale rule? Again, he names the fund, says it's actively managed. Would a passively managed bond index fund be considered substantially identical? What
8: about parking the money in a short-term bond fund for the required 30 days? Ultimately, it's going to be up to the IRS to determine if it's identical or not. In the situation that you're describing, where you're going from an actively managed fund to a passive index, that's going to be far enough away from each other because that active manager should be moving away from that index with the investments that they make. If not, why are you paying that fee when you can get an index for a lot less? So you're going to be okay there. When it comes to, should you buy that index or should you look at a short-term bond fund for that 30 days from that wash sale window, you know, it really depends on why you're owning that Bond fund and and kind of where you want exposure within that portfolio. In most situations, 30 days is probably not a problem to change that lineup up. But if you're targeting a specific duration within your portfolio, specific credit quality, if that's part of that ultimate pie or you know or pizza that you're making in terms of what that allocation is, you're going to want to have something that's relatively similar to it. So again, if you're going from an active to a passive, you're at least going to have relative exposure in that same area. That's generally what we would do in that situation, but it might be different for you.
1: Next up on Ask Annex, I'm leaving a medium-sized company where I've got a full- 401k and joining a small company where I will have a simple IRA. My 401k balance is about $150,000. Is it a bad idea to keep my 401k at my old company?
7: No, it's not a bad idea. You just have to make sure you do your research. You have to compare the investment options that are available in each plan, compare the fees that the plans are charging, and really decide if you have time to adequately manage two accounts and make sure you are adequately diversified in your investment selections between the two accounts and really not overlapping. So just make sure you're looking at your overall portfolio and make sure that if you do keep those both open, that they are complementing each other and not overlapping. If you're investing in the same funds and two Two different plans, you might as well just consolidate into one plan.
1: Sarah Kyle, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. You're welcome, Danny. Matt Moore the investment team manager. Thanks to you. Thank you. You know, on last week's show, we had a segment about how grandparents can bless grandchildren through a solid financial plan. And we want to thank you for all that positive feedback. One thing we covered was helping with college, but how? There are many ways, and we'll cover them next. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. It was bound to happen. Over your career, investments came along for the ride. The first 401k, brokerage account, profit sharing, stock options, pension, another 401k, an insurance policy, an annuity. You get the picture. At Annex Wealth Management, we believe every portfolio tells a story. After all, we've seen, reviewed, dissected, discussed, and analyzed thousands of them. Some portfolios are like well-tended gardens and reflect diligence, patience, fortitude, and optimism. Others tell the story being so. Sold commission products that might not have been the best choice, maybe for the salesperson, but not for the investor. When the financial planning team at Annex reviews your portfolio, we spot what works, what might not, and then provide unbiased suggestions based on what's important the retirement you desire. That's where the good stuff happens. Every portfolio tells a story. Let's work on yours. Investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning. It's a fee only fiduciary. That's our story. Head to AnnexWealth.com, click the Get Started button. That's AnnexWealth.com health.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Grandchildren are great, and for many of us, we want to do special things for them. One might be assisting with college. Deanne Phillips is here to talk
4: about it. Hey, Deanne. Hello, Danny. This is a fun topic. It is. Well, y- you could speak from the voice of experience with a new grandchild, right? And as a wealth manager, I can say I often sit with people who have extended family like grandkids where they value education as a family. They want to do what they can to assist them and give them a good start coming out of school with as little student loan debt as possible.
1: Deanne shared a great list of ways that grandparents can help with college. The first and cleanest, I guess, is pay tuition directly to your grandchild's school. What do you think about that one?
4: Well, if they just want to pay for school for their grandchild outright, first off, they do need to have a communication with parents and the child to see if the parents have directed the kid to have any kind of skin in the game, right? So what the expectations are. But paying outright is certainly the easiest way. It's not a gift if they pay tuition only. Tuition. Tuition, though, not room and board, directly to the school. The one we hear about
1: the most is opening up a 529 plan in the grandchild's name.
4: Right. Now, those plans are so named for the IRS code that allows someone to open an account that has tax-free earnings and withdrawals when the money is used on qualifying higher education expenses. Now, this case, it doesn't mean just tuition, but room and board, supplies, fees, fees. There are some things that are restricted, though, so you have to watch that list. While the annual gift tax exclusion is $17,000 per recipient for 2023, you can actually fund up to five times that or over $85,000 per person. You can double it up if you're married and elect to treat the contribution as if made over five years. So you can start super funding these. Depending on where you live and what plan you open, you might get a state tax credit or deduction for your contributions as well.
5: Now, you can
1: also contribute to a 529 plan owned by your grandchild's parents. Yeah, you don't yeah. have
4: to actually go through the rigmarole of opening one up yourself if you don't want to. You can contribute to the parents' one. You still get that state benefit if it's offered and you live in that state. And your gift can grow substantially over time with tax-free earnings and withdrawals when the funds are used to pay for school. However, assets held in a student or parent-owned 529 will be counted as parental assets on the FAFSA. They could reduce financial eligibility by a maximum of 5.64% of the account value. And if you contribute to somebody else's 529, you don't have control of the investment since they're held in the parent's name.
1: Talking about helping grandchildren with college. How about a straight-up loan for college, is that done?
4: Well, you can give an interest-free loan of up to $10,000, but loans greater than that are subject to an IRS-set minimum interest rate. The rates are usually typically pretty low. One of the advantages of this method is you get to set the terms. So for example, you could allow the interest to accrue until graduation and then require interest-only payments for a certain set of time while they're getting on their feet. Or eventually, you could convert the loan to a gift, But keep in mind, interest on the loan will be taxable to you, but not deductible by your grandchild. And if you forgive that loan in your will, for example, your grandchild could end up owing income tax on the debt forgiveness. And of course, there's always the potential that they might not pay you back.
1: We're hearing that word tax quite a bit in this conversation. If your grandchildren are older, maybe they're in college now, you could maybe pay off the student loans when they graduate?
4: Yeah, well, sure, you could. It, it would be a gift. So any amount you give over $17,000 this year, for example, would be subject to having to file a gift tax return. Now, 529 funds of up to $10,000 can be used for paying uh, back student loans now through real changes in the SECURE Act.
1: Dean Phillips is a wealth manager, a CFP, and Director of Client Learning and Development at Annex Wealth Management. How can grandparents help with college expenses? What's next?
4: Well, you could set up an Education Trust, a little bit more old school. They do provide a measure of control. You specify your wishes in a trust agreement and the trustee is legally obliged to fulfill them. You could restrict your grandchild's access to the funds regardless of their age. But, you know, be aware that legal and accounting fees can be higher and gifts made this way are irrevocable.
1: How about our old friends, the UGMA and the UTMA?
4: Ah, the Uniform Transfer to Minors, the UTMA or the Grant to Minors' UGMA accounts. Their money that's held in a custodial account during Directly for a specific child's benefit. Now, this means it's technically and legally their money. With this type of account, your grandchild will assume all rights to the funds once they reach their legal age, and there's no guarantee the money will be spent on college if that was the purpose. There's also a potentially heavier tax on income for those accounts. Now, the first $1,250 of a child's unearned income, so interest dividends, is not taxed. The next $1,250 is taxed at the child's rate, usually lower than the parent's. This happens because the account, again, legally owned by the kids, not the parent, but income over 2500 falls under those kiddie tax rules taxed at the parent's rate. Just remember, kids might need to file actually a tax return in one of two cases. If they have earned income through a job, this year in particular, over $13,850, or if they have unearned income, again, those dividends and interest and capital gains of more than $1,250 in an account reported under their social security number.
1: And our final point is one that I've heard of. I don't hear a lot about it, though. The Coverdell Education Savings Account.
4: They are not the same as 529s. They were actually meant for lower income tax bracket families who don't contribute more than $2,000 per year, but they can be used for elementary and secondary school expenses. There is an income threshold for contributing to these up to $220,000 for married couples filing jointly. And there's no threshold for contributing to 529s. But unlike 529s, these are not revocable. The account is like kind of an UGMA or upmother. established. They have a custodian. They're for the child. When the child becomes of age, the money legally becomes theirs. And you can't leave it in this kind of account in a Coverdell for perpetuity. They're forced out and distributed to the child at the child's age of 30 at the latest.
1: You know, our final suggestion is to work with Annex to help shape your legacy. <laughs> right. A legacy that might include assisting college expenses for your grandchild. It's part of a comprehensive financial plan. And as Deanne described, it's got a few things you need to watch out for, but we can help. Deanne Phillips, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Headlines, texts, emails, the TV, the computer, the phone, even your smartwatch. Every day, market volatility can lead to anxiety and planning paralysis. No surprise, Americans report being stressed about their investment and retirement plans. Turn down the media roar. Dial up the planning. Put Annex Wealth Management on your side for investment and retirement guidance that includes tax and estate planning. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. Know the difference with a fee-only fiduciary. That's Annex Wealth Management. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 925 Fox News. You know, folks, as you near retirement age, it is normal to feel overwhelmed by the possibilities, the uncertainties. An important and often overlooked step in the process is to look back before you look forward. Good article in Kiplinger's about five guiding questions for soon-to-be retirees to ask themselves. Robert, what do you think about the first question of the article and what it poses? What are your wins, both personal? career, financial, that you're most proud of? How would that work into somebody's financial plan?
9: At any stage of your life, it's always good to back up from the trees so we can see the forest. Mm -hmm. Give yourself credit for a job well done. If you are able to retire you've reached that plateau where you have the choice, where you don't have to work, maybe you're choosing to work and or you're choosing to retire, give yourself a round of applause because it's been a long, hard slog, right? Through, uh, I'm sure, marriage, children, dogs, cats, <laughs> what, what, the whole thing, you know? Give yourself credit, take a step back, walk through history and go, okay, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? What would I do different? I would start there. Well, and you think about it.
1: Most people that are probably in that retirement zone, they went through 08, 09. They weathered it, mm-hmm. right? They yep. probably have had career bumps. Nobody's got a smooth ride, those kinds of things. So Robert, I think you're right when you say give yourself a little bit of uh, applause. The second question is, and it's one we've heard before and talked about an awful lot on the show because we really believe in it. Who will you be in retirement?
9: This is a really important one, Danny. I mean, are you going to be a giver or are are you gonna be a taker? And what do I mean by that? Are you gonna give back now all of the the talents and skills that you've gathered over your career? A lot of other people could sure learn a lot from people who are retired. Or are you just gonna stay home, sit on the couch and wear your thumb out with the TV remote? I would highly suggest get out there give back you'll feel better about yourself and you're going to share those talents and skills that you've honed in on for your whole career share it with other people so they can be better at their careers also
1: we're with robert chastain branch director wealth manager at annex wealth management southwest florida five questions to ask on the way to retirement the third is what are your biggest dangers and maybe it might be a longevity type of thing a health thing there's not much we can do about storms that are going to roll in or geopolitical problems, but you need to ask, what are my biggest dangers and how can I protect?
9: One of the biggest ones is really, are you going to outlive your money, mm. right? So if you have a good plan and you trust your plan, you're comfortable with your plan, you've dealt with it, or you've you've worked with it over a number of years and you trust that your financial planner is doing the right things. All of the numbers make sense. They've taken all of your expenses into account. That has to be one of the dangers. So it's it's a blind spot, right? And as Mike Tyson always said, it's <laughs> that left hook you never see coming that knocks you out. And and that's the one thing you have to worry about. Like, like Danny said, you know, do you have longevity or do you have health issues? Those are the things that you can plan for, and try and set money aside just in case something like that happens.
1: Wasn't it Mike Tyson that also said everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth? Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen of the 92.5 Fox News audience, what other financial show would talk about Mike Tyson (laughs) and use him? There you go. Question number four, and here's where it starts to get better. How do I maximize my opportunities?
9: Maximizing your opportunities, right? Uh, Most people during their careers they had a plan and they had a weekly schedule. I strongly suggest the clients I work with Danny still have a calendar. I mean, just map out what you're gonna do. Even if it's meeting a bunch of guys for nine holes of golf or meeting for lunch, put it on your calendar, plan for it. You have something to look forward to and or You don't upset other people in your household who (laughs) might be waiting on you because they had told you and then you say, oh my gosh, something came up. Plan your week out, make your schedule just like you did when you were working, and then stick to your schedule.
1: Question number five, how do I maximize my strengths? I suppose it ties a little bit back into talking about opportunities.
9: Here's the thing in retirement, what are your likes and dislikes? Well, in retirement, you have the choice of staying away from your dislikes. So... If you hate eating broccoli, you don't have to eat broccoli. But basically, during your career, you learn what your strengths and weaknesses, what your likes and dislikes are. And now, if you're really good with numbers, spreadsheets, maybe you want to help volunteer and help kids with that. Maybe even teach a class. If you like cooking, if you like baking, you know, you can bake for your widowed or widower neighbors or, you know, people who might be less fortunate or might be going through a trying time like the hurricanes and stuff. Maybe you can cook for the neighbors that that had some damage and, you know, just give back that way. You know, the skills that you've garnered over your career, over your lifetime, that you can share those with others. And you'll feel better about it, too, when you do give back.
1: This is the way we think, folks. This is the way we operate. We look at your personal situation from every angle because nobody's plan is the same. Let's talk about yours. Best way to get things going, head to AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. couple of things, Robert, if we need to call you, how do we do that?
9: Uh, you can reach me at 239-350-6363.
1: And let's talk about the new location, because we're really excited about that.
9: Uh, We are excited about our new building, Danny, on Tamiami Trail, just south of Pine Ridge Road at 4901.
1: Robert Chastain, Branch Director, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management, Southwest Florida. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. We are going to talk about longevity. If we all had our expiration date printed on ourselves, maybe things would be a little different. I'd hate it, but maybe things would be different. How does longevity factor into your financial planning? We'll talk about that next on Money
4: Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Losing sleep lately? The job, the house, the headlines, or investments? How about the feeling your investment partner isn't a partner at all? They might be operating in someone's best interest, but that someone isn't you. It's time for Annex Wealth Management. It's easy. Head to AnnexWealth.com, click the Get Started button. We work in your best interest as a fiduciary. That commitment runs so deep, we put it in writing. Does your advisor do that? Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Start at AnnexWealth.com.
1: Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Keith Butler is a Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management, joins us. Hey, Keith. Hey, great to be here. We are going to talk about retirement preparedness and the importance of longevity literacy. Now, I know what longevity is. I don't know that I'm supposed to be literate about it.
0: What is longevity literacy? Well, I think it's an understanding of how likely you are to live, simply stated. Years ago when we were kids, it seemed like somebody who lived to 90, that was this crazy old age, right? But really interesting, how many people now live to 90? Here's a couple quick statistics for you. If a man is alive at age 62, there's a 22% chance he'll hit 90. If a woman is 62, there's a 33% chance she'll hit 90. And this one blows me away. A couple, if they are both alive at 62, there's almost a 50-50 chance one of them will hit 90. Research piece that really piqued my interest, that came from
1: TIAA Institute and also George Washington University about longevity literacy and retirement readiness. Apparently, we're not very good at knowing this as Americans.
0: Right, right, right. And, and it is important, too. One big reason is that our parents' generation, if you will, was a pension generation where almost everybody had a pension, okay? And that switch Now, public employees have pensions, unions, people have pensions, but Now we have Social Security, which usually is not enough to replace the income that you had uh, while you were working. And so people are relying now on 401k plans and savings, things like that. So you kind of have to plan out how long that's going to be because it's not just a stream that's going to go as long as you are.
1: And I think we're a little healthier now. So you look at the, the Mad Men generation. You know, I was watching that show. and I'm like, how do people live past 65 right. back then? So during our financial planning process at Annex Wealth Management, we develop stress tested plans for our clients. Many factors, income, spending, investments, tax planning, estate planning, knowing how long we might live. That's a little tougher. So, Keith, my grandfather went to 99, mm. my dad to 88. So what do I have? Late 70s? Do I carry that number into talk to a wealth manager?
0: Well, we have a base assumption when people come in and we we build out our plans to have the if it's a married couple, husband and wife, the man to 86, the woman to 91. That's just a base starting point. And a lot of folks say, "Geez, you know, kind of like, you know, your your grandpa, they say, "Geez, we have All this longevity in our family, we can just build it out with a click. That's just a starting point. And one of the reasons is we want to split up the deaths so that one person has to file as a single taxpayer for a few years, and that stresses the plan a little bit. The tough thing is, is when you live longer than your money does. (laughs) <laughs> that's right. Well, yeah, and that, that's getting back to the point of, you know, you got to really think ahead when things are now a lump of money, if you will, like a 401k plan becomes an IRA as opposed to a pension that you know is just going to stretch out regardless of how yeah. long you live.
1: Does it boil down to the fact that we just plan old underestimate what we'll need for the full length of our
0: lives? I think that's part of it, and it plays into a lot of people who want to take Social Security a little earlier than they may really be advised to, if you will. One of the things that we provide, of course, is a Social Security analysis to let people know because you can start taking it, other than in a disability situation, it's between 62 and 70. You, there's no point to wait beyond 70. It doesn't go up at all uh, beyond that. So I think that a, underestimating how long you may are likely to live will lead people to take Social Security maybe a little earlier than they should.
1: One of the things I saw was the generational differences in longevity, literacy, and retirement readiness. The boomers and the silent generation, they're better. In fact, they've got stronger longevity knowledge compared to Gen Z and Gen Y, maybe because we're closer to that time. That would be my guess. Yeah, <laughs> right. you, you ponder these things a little bit more. Right. You know, I've seen various articles about subjects like this. The headline of my favorite was, why the last check you write before you die should bounce. Is that a
0: decent goal? It's a perfect goal and to put it a generation further. Back when I was doing estate planning and some folks would bring in their elderly parents to get their plans and they say, we don't want to inherit. We want mom and dad to spend every dime that they have. You know, they earned it, blah, blah, blah. And that's a noble goal. But realistically, if you're very elderly and all of a sudden you see your money going down to like nothing, that's going to add a lot of stress. Now, if we all knew everybody's dates of death, we could plan that perfectly so that, yes, the last check bounces. But unfortunately, the world doesn't work that way.
1: I'm not sure I want that. Yeah. L- let's pivot. Slightly. Let's talk about legacy. We want everybody to enjoy a wonderful retirement, but a really nice part of retirement can be setting up and ensuring a legacy for years to come and being part of that process to design and direct that legacy. That's something we do for our clients.
0: It absolutely is. For lack of a better word, we do the consulting. We'll do the evaluation. We can look at what plan you have right now. You know, a lot of folks that come in that haven't done their plan they did it when their kids were young and other kids are into college or out of college and it's completely out of date and you know getting it up to date is a really important part of that process
1: Keith Butler is a wealth manager at annex wealth management thanks for joining us my pleasure
0: is there anything sweeter than the crisp sound of a driver when it connects
1: purely with the ball many golfers evaluate the quality of their shot by the sound it makes you may feel the same about your financial plan something doesn't seem look or sound right think of Annex Wealth Management as financial swing doctors. We'll give you the truly objective analysis that comes from a fee-only fiduciary with no products to push or commissions to chase. If you need help, talk to our pros. Get started at AnnexWealth.com. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. I just want to remind you, if you want to get tax smart, you need to get the Annex Wealth Management Tax Smart Planning Strategies Review. We look at your situation because it's unique. We assess your plan. We provide insight on strategies you might want to employ. All the details at annexwealth.com slash tax smart. I'm Danny Clayton, Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist, Annex Wealth Management, joins us. Welcome. Great to be here. Got a question for you. been reading more about bankruptcies. I know that you are working with a lot of the high net worth clients of Annex Wealth Management. You mentioned that this is something they're asking about as well. Maybe not for their particular situation, Mm -hmm. but they've got reasons.
10: Yeah, they do. And one of the reasons why a lot of the high net worth individuals are looking at this is because oftentimes in that space, they'll have an interest in... In credit, So, I mean, most people do already as far as fixed income investing with stocks, which is equity, and then you have bonds, which is fixed income. But within bonds, there is a wide variety of types of instruments in there that people can invest in. And one of the headlines that some people have been seeing is about bankruptcies increasing at some sort of astronomical rate from a year ago. And I think that's one of the headlines, you know, you see it, it sounds sensationalistic, and it just raises some questions. And so it's kind of fun to sit down and actually dig into the details a little bit to uncover what's behind that surge in bankruptcies.
1: You say astronomical, and and you're right, up 63% in the first half of 2023. Now, as compared to last year, conditions have changed.
10: Exactly. And that's the key thing, is they say it's up 63% from last year. But guess what? Last year's was basically zero. There were very low levels of bankruptcy. And that's one of the things that we noticed with COVID, with all of the PPP loans that businesses were able to get, stimulus checks that individuals got, the financial condition was fairly healthy and we actually saw a dramatic drop in bankruptcies and we are now just beginning to see those start to increase so when you go from a very low level to something that would be I would say I had a run rate probably pretty close to what Normal would be. So going from basically zero to normal can look like a huge jump, even though it's not really sending a signal that there's that much to worry about. What is the smoking gun? Well, I think that the smoking gun, what we always look at on our investment committee is what's going on as far as the ability of the people who issue the debt to service that debt. And if you see their incomes going down, or if you see their interest costs going up, or the worst case scenario is them moving in opposite directions where you have have the interest costs going up and the income going down, that then can lead to future problems. And what I've noticed actually at an individual level, so looking at the government's data on personal income and spending, last year, about 1.5% of your typical American's budget Per month was going to pay interest cost across a wide variety of things. So it was mortgage or credit card or auto. So 1.5% of disposable income. That's now up to 2.5% because rates have moved higher. Now, that's a big jump going from 1.5% to 2.5%. But looking at the historical average going all the way back to 1979,
1: that's average. Do you think high net worth families and individuals are watching this as a trend or a warning or i think it's more as
10: far as does this trend continue because it's one thing to go from below normal to normal but then do you stop at normal. And the danger is that you go from below normal to normal to way above Mm -hmm. normal, that it can escalate quickly. And so that's what we're monitoring. Are investors being compensated for those risks through the spreads? And the spread is just the difference between the yield that you can get On these credit instruments versus the yield that you can get on a comparable maturity Treasury security and right now those spreads are very tight so from our perspective it doesn't really pay at this point the way that we're thinking about it to take on that type of risk when there are perhaps somewhat safer less default risk securities that are out there even issued by the US government
1: in our final minute or so,
10: what are we looking at next week? Do we get a new fresh CPI number? We do. That's going to be the exciting thing as far as the CPI number. Everybody's looking for that to actually bounce a little bit because of higher. When you higher, say bounce, that means? Oh, it's to go up a up? little bit. Okay. Yes. So it, to increase a little bit because of higher food and energy costs. Interesting thing is, though, those higher food and energy costs,
1: those might persist for a while. But the core continues to go lower. Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thank you. At the very least, folks, investigate what Annex can do for you, your family, your legacy. It's important stuff. You might be a DIY investor working with somebody else, or you're ready to start by yourself. We're ready for you as a fee-only fiduciary partner, and it just takes a couple of minutes to get the conversation started. Get started button. That's where you want to go at AnnexWealth.com. We'll be back here next Sunday at noon. Thanks for listening. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News.